Hey, Rocketeers, this is your host, Greg Webb. If you want to hear more awesome audio adventures and are looking for a way to support the show, sign up for the brand new Rocketeer Club membership. As an official Rocketeer Club member, you will get access to the entire Purple Rocket Library ad-free. You'll also get access to exclusive series, like our fully produced sci-fi epic, Norb, or the improvised bedtime stories I tell to my kids. You'll get activity books to accompany each of the seasons. I'm releasing one per month until I'm caught up. You'll get discounted merch, book-formatted read-alongs, and an app for a seamless listening experience. You can also gift a membership to your friends and family. So visit purplerocketpodcast.com or click the link in the episode description to sign up. Again, to get more audio adventures and help support the Purple Rocket, go to purplerocketpodcast.com or click the link in the description and sign up for an official Rocketeer Club membership. Thank you so much for your support, Rocketeers. And now, back to our show. Somewhere in a jungle thick with vines and ferns, an old battered triceratops drank from a stream that wound between bulging tree roots. Lowering its horns, it lapped up the water with its massive tongue and occasionally huffed away the mosquitoes hovering around its head. For a brief second, the ground shook, making the nearby ferns sway. The triceratops froze. Slowly, it lifted its head and listened. It was hard to hear over the constant hum of birds and insects. Swaying its massive head to see its surroundings, and not finding anything unusual, the triceratops once again lowered its head to the stream. But before it could take another drink, the ground shook again, and again, and again, and again. Eyes wide, the Triceratops turned to face the trees at the other end of the clearing, the ground shaking with every pounding footstep. One of the trees snapped like a twig under the weight of an enormous green foot. Three claws crunched over the wood and sank deep into the damp earth. High above it, pushing through the upper branches, the gaping, fanged mouth of a T-Rex roared. Spotting the Triceratops across the clearing, it lowered its head and charged. With little time to react, the Triceratops spun around, using its thick tail to whip the T-Rex's legs. The T-Rex fell to the ground, and the Triceratops cut across its belly with its horns. The T-Rex let out a ferocious roar that sent birds flying from the trees. Stumbling to its feet, the T-Rex chomped onto the Triceratops' horn as it charged. Snap! The T-Rex's jaw clenched and snapped the horn in half. The Triceratops stared up in horror at the stub sticking out of its head and shouted, You bit my horn, man! There was a long silence as the two dinosaurs stared at each other. You bit my horn, man? Another voice repeated. Two boys sat under a tree in a backyard. One, with buzz-cut hair, was holding two toy dinosaurs, a T-Rex and a Triceratops, while a younger boy watched, confused. Yeah, said the boy holding the toys. The Triceratops clearly isn't happy about losing its most effective weapon, so naturally it's complaining. But you're making them talk, the younger boy said, still not getting it. The older boy shrugged. Were you alive during the Triassic, Jurassic, or Cretaceous periods? Hmm, no. So that would suggest you don't know whether they could talk. While I would argue that the anatomy of their vocal cords and the makeup of their brains would suggest otherwise, I think it's fun to imagine that they could. The other boy stared at him, not sure what to say. Wouldn't the T-Rex just destroy the Triceratops in like two seconds? <clears throat> no. The T-Rex is a highly overrated predator that could easily be caught off guard by the charging power of a Triceratops whose three horns could have easily dealt a fatal blow to the pathetic T-Rex. That's why I had the T-Rex bite one of them off. While not likely, it was going to make the fight much more interesting. The younger boy raised an eyebrow. You don't like T-Rexes? Who doesn't like the T-Rex? Me. Okay... 
Um, I don't really want to play this anymore. Can we just climb that tree or something? The boy with the dinosaurs turned and looked at the tall tree before turning back to the other kid and vigorously shaking his head. I'd rather play with dinosaurs. Fine, I'm going to go home, the younger boy said, getting to his feet and leaving his friend to play with the dinosaurs. The older boy didn't seem to mind his playmate's sudden exit. He just continued bashing the two dinosaurs together while making sound effects. The two toys clashed again, and this time they both collapsed to the ground. And that is how dinosaurs became extinct, the boy concluded. The Purple Rocket Podcast presents... Camp Dino. Episode 1. Welcome to Camp Dino. Bo, the boy with the toy dinosaurs, sat in the back seat of his mom's car, staring out the window as they drove and smiling as he remembered the experience from years ago. It had been one of a thousand times his mom had tried to arrange a playdate with one of the other kids in town, and in typical fashion, the experience went up in flames. Bo didn't think it was his fault he couldn't make any friends. It was his parents who had decided to move out into the middle of nowhere and homeschool him far away from civilization. Sometimes you have to become your own best friend. And that's what Bo did. He loved hanging out by himself, exploring, reading, and yes, even talking to himself. Bo realized early on that he was different from most kids his age. He stood out. Some people didn't like how fast he talked. They said that he rambled, but Bo could understand himself just fine. And then there was his appearance. Some kids liked to point out the fact that he was skinny, had buzzed hair, and tucked his collared shirts into shorts. But they just didn't realize that hair is greasy and a waste of time to maintain. He couldn't gain weight if he tried, and polos tucked into shorts just means that you're classy and adventurous. Other kids also seemed to take issue with the fedora hat that he always wore. It was a special hat, and he never went anywhere without it. The cap was lined with arrowheads he'd collected from the forest by his house. Sure, it had a few stains on it, but those were just reminders to Bo of all the amazing adventures he'd had while wearing it. It had been a few years since Bo stopped playing with his toy dinosaurs, and he was trying to move on from the phase but it seemed like his parents weren't willing to accept that. They kept buying him dinosaur books, even though he'd read at least a dozen encyclopedias on the topic. What else was there to learn? Now, in one last desperate attempt to rekindle his interest and most likely force friendship upon him, his parents were sending him off to some lame dinosaur summer camp. His mom reached back and handed him the brochure. Bo, you're going to have a blast, his mother told him. There's going to be dino digs, fun classes. I even heard they have an obstacle course. Yippee, Bo mumbled sarcastically. He flipped through the brochure and found it stuffed with cheesy images of kids pretending to look for fossils in sandboxes, kids getting dinosaur face paint, and others in a class eagerly raising their hands to answer a question. Oh, brother. Hey, have a good attitude, mister. We've saved up a lot of money to send you to this camp, so you better appreciate it. I don't want any phone calls from you for at least a week, got it? Whatever you say. His mom was right. They had spent a lot of money. Why they couldn't just send him to some local camp was beyond Bo's understanding. But at least they were sending him to an actual jungle somewhere in Brazil. 
maybe he'd actually have a chance to explore a bit. Minutes later, Bo's mom came to a stop at the airport drop-off and kissed him goodbye. Bo put on his oversized backpack and fedora before making his way through the airport. His beige hat got him more than a couple curious looks, and it almost got crumpled as it passed through the machine at airport security. On the plane, Bo set it on his lap and studied the camp's brochure during most of the 14-hour flight. He almost had it memorized now. A toddler sitting next to him kept trying to turn his shoulder into a pillow. Every time he fell asleep, he'd drool on Bo's shirt and then abruptly sit up and shout, I have to pee! At which point, his mom would trip over herself to get the kid to the tiny bathroom at the back of the plane. Needless to say, it was a long flight. By the time they landed, Bo was practically running out of the terminal to get away from everyone. He hated large crowds. Grabbing his suitcase off the carousel, he walked out to the curb and looked for his ride. Some guy named Kirby was supposed to be there waiting for him, holding a sign with Bo's name on it. Cabs honked at each other as they jostled for position on the curb. People jumped in and out of cars in a hurry. A bus driver argued with a security guard. Bo focused on the people holding signs, looking for his name. There were a few signs being held up, one for Francisco, another one for Juliana, and the last one said Bo, spelled B-O-W instead of B-O. The man holding this sign had long, dark hair and wore a white tank top that revealed tattoos that wound up his arms and around his neck. He wore dark sunglasses and chewed on a little stick of bamboo. The guy had a gruff look on his face, like someone who'd seen his fair share of trouble. Bo imagined him breaking out of jail, jumping his driver and taking the sign. At this lovely thought, he continued scanning the people, hoping to find another sign with his name spelled correctly. Hey kid, the man called out to him. Bo tried to ignore him. Hey, you, with the buzz cut. Bo pretended to finally notice him. Hmm, what, oh, me? He pointed to himself. You, Bo, the man asked. Bo glanced around nervously, noting the nearby police officers. If things go awry, how do you say help in Portuguese, he thought. For a brief moment, Bo's imagination got the best of him, and he imagined himself in the middle of a shootout between the Brazilian police and this escaped convict. He imagined having to fight his way out of a hostage situation and then sneaking aboard a plane bound for home. Come on, kid, it's a simple question the man prodded, pulling Bo out of his daydream. That's me, he finally answered. Can't you read? The man pointed irritably to his sign. Yeah, it's just you spelled my two-letter name incorrectly and you look like a Class A kidnapper. A Class A what? What were you expecting? A guy in a suit? That might have been more forthcoming, yes. It would have implied you were a professional and that you were a classy driver, someone trustworthy. The man shook his head. Trust me, around here, the guys in the suits are the ones you need to worry about. Got your stuff? Bo held up his suitcase and the man took it from him. My name's Kirby Wolf. I work at the camp. Normally you'd have one of our buses pick you up, but it got stuck in quicksand, so you're stuck with me. Great, Bo muttered. What's that? Great, great, this is great. I'm looking forward to it. Bo watched as Kirby strapped the suitcase to a rusty motorcycle parked at the curb. He noticed a couple of machetes and even a shotgun holstered on its side. Yep, he's definitely an escaped convict. What's wrong? Kirby said, noticing Bo's terrified expression. We're going on this? No, I thought I'd just donate your stuff to a random biker. Yes, we're going on this. Is there a problem? Bo swallowed. I guess not. Don't worry, Bo. It's not like there are thousands of motorcycle fatalities a year or something. Are you talking to yourself? Sorry, can I have my helmet? Kirby looked at Bo's outstretched hand and laughed. <laughs> helmet? Bo shook his head. Goodbye, world. He climbed onto the back of the motorcycle behind Kirby and held onto his hat. With a kick of the starter, the bike growled to life and they roared out of the terminal. 
the motorcycle ride didn't seem much shorter than the plane ride. They bumped over dirt roads, weaved through villages with brightly colored homes, and cruised along ocean highways. It was beautiful, but terrifying. Kirby drove them around as if he was in the heat of a race, narrowly missing corners and pedestrians, and zooming through towns with not so much as a glance at stop signs. It was weird if they passed through an intersection without being honked or yelled at. But Kirby didn't care. He rode faster and faster towards the jungle in the distance. Soon, villages became sparse, until only a few pastel-colored homes dotted the road, most overgrown with vines and moss. Another 30 minutes and there were no homes at all, and the trees seemed to double in size. Monstrous kapok trees, some a couple hundred feet high, towered above them, their roots fanning out like massive fins. Vines now stretched between the canopies, and tropical birds chirped overhead. A lime green python coiled itself around a thick branch that was low enough for them to duck under. Deeper into the jungle they went. The sounds of birds and insects grew louder. The air grew wet and sticky. The roots bulging in and out of the ground became more and more cumbersome to navigate. But that didn't seem to deter Kirby. He'd obviously driven this route many times before as he nimbly steered the bike between ferns and roots and even jumped a couple big ones, making Bo nearly lose his luggage and hat mid-air. A few stretches of the journey weren't too bad. They passed a few waterfalls that cascaded down cliffs covered in flowered vines. A little further on, they encountered a band of long-haired monkeys that followed next to them, screeching at them while swinging from branch to branch. Their ringleader stopped on a branch up ahead and let out a defiant howl. <laughs> this monkey was nearly twice the size of the others. He was chubby, with a round gut and a poofy patch of white hair that stood out against the rest of its long black fur. Bo raised an eyebrow at the military dog tag necklace around its neck. The monkey seemed to notice his prying eyes and pulled the necklace back before howling angrily at him. <laughs> Bo was relieved to leave them behind. Something told him had they stayed much longer that monkey would be swinging through the trees with his fedora on its head. Further into the jungle they went. They passed rivers and giant anthills. They crossed rickety rope bridges that split and groaned under the motorcycle's weight. Bo held on to Kirby for dear life and tried not to peek at the roaring river hundreds of feet below. Oh, jeez, kid, lighten up, Kirby said halfway across the last bridge. <coughs> oh, trying to do the Heimlich on me? He revved the engine and sped onto solid ground where Bo let out a long exhale. As they rode down a dirt path, Bo noticed a cluster of long blue arrows sticking out of one of the trees. Beneath it, pinned to the trunk, was a blue tribal mask. Bo stared at it. Unless he was seeing things, it looked like there was blue liquid dripping down the bark from the arrows. He almost said something about it to Kirby, but Kirby spoke up. The camp's just ahead. Bo looked over Kirby's shoulder and his eyes widened. At the end of the dirt road was an enormous gate. Ancient stone pillars adorned with fireballs held the gate doors, which were made of, Bo squinted at them to be sure, dinosaur bones? The skeletons of a T-Rex and Triceratops intertwined with the weaving bones to make up the doors. Oh man, Bo mumbled. Kirby leaned his head back. What'd they tell you about this place? Not enough. Kirby smiled, and then, pulling the shotgun from the holster by his leg, he aimed it at one of the gate's pillars and fired. Boom! The shot hit a metal windmill poking up out of the ground, making it spin. As it did, the doors opened. Welcome to Camp Dino, Kirby said as they rode through them. Bo's mouth fell open. Giant trees connected by rope bridges housed countless teepees and yurts on their thick branches. 
There were kids swinging on vines from one tree to the other, while others were walking in and out of a hole in the side of a huge metal vessel that lay shipwrecked against a patch of palm trees. Several kids were gathered around an enormous igloo tent at the center of camp, many of them playing with or training dinosaurs. Real dinosaurs. Bo's heart pounded in his chest. Woohoo! He looked up and saw a girl swooping overhead atop a pterodactyl. Wait up, said a boy flying awkwardly close behind. A boy crouching next to the path was helping his baby stegosaurus find a fern to chew on and was stroking the plates jutting out its back. Another kid was scratching the long neck of an infant brachiosaurus as it stretched to take a bite of leaves from a low-hanging branch. A girl who was standing up on one of the rope bridges tossed a ball down to her pachycephalosaurus. The ball bounced off its round hammerhead back up to the girl. She clapped when she caught it. Stunned, Bo slowly started to fall off the back of the motorcycle, but Kirby quickly reached back and grabbed him. Don't worry, he said with a chuckle. The shock will wear off eventually. I'm going to give you a quick tour and then drop you off in time for dinner. Okay, Bo managed to say. Kirby watched Bo's awestruck expression with amusement. Wait till you see it at night. He steered the motorcycle around several monstrous trees and then came to a stop. Those are the treepies, he said, nodding up to the teepees in the trees. That's where the kids sleep. Each kid is assigned to a tree and you'll stick with those tree mates for the rest of the summer. Newbies get the lower branches and long timers rise up to the canopies. The yurts are for the counselors. They'll be close by to make sure you don't do anything stupid. Don't worry, the branches and bridges are checked yearly. What's wrong? You afraid of heights? The color drained from Bo's face as he slowly looked up at the treepies. Don't worry, kid. We haven't had a bridge snap in uh, three, no, two years. Bo's eyes bulged. Kirby steered the motorcycle over to a massive igloo tent. This is the gathering hut, Kirby said. This is where the Camp Ma and Pa have their nightly bonfires and where your orientation will be. Again, wait till you see it at night. Bo looked over the huge cloth dome and saw that it was decorated with cave paintings of dinosaurs, mountains, jungles, and thousands of handprints. Next, Kirby rode them up to the big metal ship that lay tilted on its side. Kids walked in and out of a giant torpedo hole blown into its belly. That's the galley. Kirby said, parking the bike. It's the camp cafeteria. The fruit smoothies are legendary. But watch out for those iguana kebabs. They'll make you gassy for a week. He unstrapped Bo's luggage and handed it to him. Okay, here you go. This'll be your first stop. Grab a bite to eat and then head over to the gathering hut for orientation. You'll get to explore the rest of the camp when you start your classes. But for now, just worry about eating and getting some rest, okay? Let the setting soak in. You've got quite the summer ahead of you. If you ever need me, just holler. I'm usually wandering around here during the day. He kick-started the motorcycle. Wait, what do you do? Bo asked. Are you a camp counselor, a guard, a guide, a convict? That last one he mumbled quietly. Kirby smiled around the stick of bamboo in his mouth. None of the above, kid. I guess you can call me the janitor, so don't go leaving a bunch of messes for me to clean up, because if you do, I'll sick a T-Rex on you. Bo went pale. <laughs> Come on, kid. I'm kidding. Enjoy your first day at camp. Remember, just relax. Oh, and Bo? Kirby pointed at him. Nice hat. And with that, he rode off. Other kids waved and called out to him as he passed. Bo was left, touching his hat, trying to figure out if that was a sincere compliment or if he was just being teased again. Usually in his case, the latter was more likely. Shrugging it off, he grabbed his luggage and made his way into the galley through the hole in the ship. The inside was wide open and spacious. Rusty metal walls tilted to one side, and he could see the remains of what appeared to be bunk rooms and mechanical areas 
poking out of the upper walls, split in half and hanging out, frozen in the moment the ship had been blasted apart. Metal bunks jutted out of one split room, and a broken desk and chair lay on the open floor of another cabin. They were like metal cubbies stretching up the walls, all the way up to the navigation room, which had a wide panoramic window and a steering wheel. The window was shattered, of course, but served as a nice skylight that filled the cafeteria with a dusty afternoon light. Vines and tree limbs had started to grow through the opening and were creeping down the walls all the way to the floor. A few of them had blooming jungle flowers. Kids packed the metal tables that filled the room. Bo grabbed a tray and got in line. What will it be for you, my dear? Came an operatic voice in front of him. Bo pulled his gaze from the room to look at the friendly plump woman in front of him. She wore an apron covered in so many stains she looked like a walking splatter painting. Um... Bo looked over the food on the other side of the glass. We have T-Rex meatloaf or Triceratacos, the woman said, again in her sing-song voice. Bo stared at the options and had to admit the names were appropriate. The meatloaf had been cut out using a T-Rex cookie cutter, and the tacos were open to look like a mouth, and there were two carrots on the plate above it to make it kind of look like a triceratops face. Bo hesitated. T-Rex meatloaf it is, the cook said, making the decision for him and plopping the food onto his plate. Ah, uh, thanks. Bo shuffled over to a table at the far end of the galley and took a seat. He prodded at the meatloaf, but was too distracted by all of the little dinosaurs wandering around. Had his imagination gotten the best of him? Could any of this be real? He watched a girl feed her little ankylosaurus as it wagged its bald tail and whined for more scraps. Bo noticed the muscles and tendons tightening behind its scales and saw its belly inflate with every inhale. It was real. Someone suddenly grabbed Bo's fedora off his head. Nice hat, man, said a kid behind him. The kid, who was surrounded by a few older kids, twirled the fedora in his hands. He was short, tan, and had perfect spiked hair with buzzed sides. I didn't realize Indiana Jones was coming to camp this summer the kid said, basking in the laughs from his friends. He put the hat on and pretended to crack a whip around the room. Whoosh, whoosh, whoosh. Bo felt his inside squirm. He noticed more eyes turning to look at him. He tried to keep his mouth shut, but it sprang open on its own. I didn't know Zac Efron was invited to camp, he blurted. The other kid scrunched his face. Who the heck is Zac Efron? He's the pretty boy from the high school musical movies. The second I saw you, I imagined you jumping onto tables and bursting into song. Do you dance too? The kid walked up and got real close. Are you calling me a pretty boy? Technically, I was calling you Zac Efron, but pretty boy would be an accurate description. The other boy's face burned with rage. Ash, came a voice at the other end of the galley. The boy and his goons turned to see Kirby standing by the entrance. He was no longer wearing his sunglasses, so his intense gaze was obvious. Is there a problem? Ash clenched his jaw. Nope. Just welcoming the new kid. Ash turned and flashed Bo a threatening look. See you around, Buzzhead. He smashed the fedora onto Bo's head and stormed out of the cafeteria. Kirby shook his head and followed after him. Buzzhead's not a terrible nickname, you know, said a girl at the next table. She had dark skin and black hair that was pulled back in a braid. She wore camouflage workout pants and a t-shirt. Having a collared shirt tucked into shorts definitely didn't help your cause, she added. Bo squinted at her. Thanks for the commentary. To his surprise, the girl picked up her tray and moved to the seat in front of him. I'm Zeta, she said, extending a hand. Bo shook it. Bo, I probably could have beaten that kid up for you, but he had like three friends with him and I'm not confident in your ability to back me up. No offense. Offense taken, 
Zeta smiled at him. It's my first year, too. I'm guessing we'll both get grief for it, especially from the carnivores. Carnivores? That's what people call Ash and his crew. They basically gobble up all the newbies for fun. I've been able to dodge them so far, but it's just a matter of time. She looked around. I didn't even want to come to this place. My parents were supposed to send me to a ninja warrior camp, but they signed me up for this camp by mistake, and since they already put down the deposit, I had to come. I couldn't care less about dinosaurs. But I have to admit, she glanced around the room, seeing real dinosaurs walking around took this camp to a whole other level. So they are real? I'm not just seeing things? At first I thought they might be robots, like some kind of expensive animatronic or something, but they even smell weird, like barn animals wearing dirty socks. Zeta laughed. Oh, they're real. I made the mistake of poking one when I first got here yesterday, and it bit my finger. She held up her bandaged finger. Hard. Are you going to eat that? I'm not really hungry. You're going to have to eat up if you want to put some meat on those scrawny bones. That ash kid was small, but he's still got more muscle than you. I could help you with some workouts. I'm perfectly content with my level of muscle mass, thank you very much. Bo pushed the plate in front of Zeta, and she immediately started digging into it. Mmm. Sloppy Joe makes some weird-looking stuff, but it's actually pretty good. Sloppy Joe? That's the name of the cook. Well, that's what all the kids call her, at least. I don't know what Joe is short for. But she's definitely sloppy. Bo looked at the woman's dirty apron. Uh, definitely. Somewhere an old bell rang and kids started getting up from the tables. Zeta quickly scarfed down the last bites of Bo's meatloaf, leaving only the tail behind. Mm, come on, that's the bell for orientation, she said with a mouthful. A monkey swooped into the galley as the kids were leaving and snagged a half-eaten taco out of a kid's hands. Hey, I wasn't done with that cuckoo, the kid shouted. <laughs> Tuku blew a raspberry and then climbed up high to eat the rest of the taco well out of reach. He took big, slow bites as if to rub it in the kid's face. You punk, the kid said, shaking his head and walking out of the galley. Bo recognized the white patch of fur on Tuku's head and the bulging gut. It was the same fat monkey he saw back in the jungle. What the? Zeta said, squinting up at him. That's my necklace! Get down here, you thief! <laughs> Tuku held the dog tag necklace and taunted her. <laughs> I'm getting that back, you fat monkey! Zeta looked at Bo. I've been here a day, and Tuku's already stolen two of my necklaces. Apparently he steals everybody's stuff, so keep your things close. Noted, Bo said, holding his hat tight as he and Zeta left the galley for the gathering hut. Bo stopped outside. Shoot, I forgot my backpack. I'll meet you there. I'll save you a seat, Zeta told him. Bo marched back into the galley just in time to catch Tuku going through his backpack. <laughs> Get out of here, you crazy chimp! After a brief game of tug-of-war, Bo pried the bag from the monkey's hands and headed back towards the gathering hut. <laughs> On his way there, he tripped and hit the dirt hard. Watch your step, buzzhead, said a familiar voice. Bo got to his feet and came face to face with Ash. The boy double-checked to make sure there weren't any camp counselors around. Think you can insult me like that and get away with it, huh? What's wrong? You gonna cry, Indy? Let's see it, Indiana crybaby. His friends laughed. Bum ba da ba ba wah 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 Bum ba da ba ba wah 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 he had remixed the Indiana Jones theme song to include his dumb joke. His friends laughed even harder. Bo's throat tightened. He could feel the tears building up. He hated that this always happened to him. Why couldn't people just leave him alone? 
He backed up against a tree trunk as Ash and his carnivores closed in on him. If anybody asked where you got the bruises, you'll tell them that a dinosaur attacked you, Ash threatened. And if you even think about... A huge pile of dino dung splattered over Ash's head. He stumbled back and wiped the brown from his eyes. Bo froze. So did the others. Shlop, shlop, shlop. Three more piles fell, caking the other carnivores in dino dung. Sick, one of the boys cried. They looked up to see someone dropping dung bombs on them from one of the upper branches. The kid was dangling more bombs over them and whistling every time he let one go. Shlop. Shlop. Come on, let's go, Ash ordered, pushing his friends out of the way. Move, Jack! Another dung bomb fell in front of them, and one of the kids slipped in it, stumbled, and then scrambled back to his feet before running away. Bo caught his breath and looked up at the dung bomber. He was an older boy with long, dark bangs that hid most of his face. He was wearing a denim shirt over a t-shirt and dark pants. Thanks, Bo called up to him. The boy nodded at him and then disappeared into the tree. Shaking off his nerves, Bo picked up his backpack and ran into the giant tent igloo at the center of camp. The inside was one big room, with benches forming a circle around a roaring bonfire. Smoke trailed up through the room and out the hole in the top of the dome into the evening sky that was turning orangish pink under the setting sun. Kids everywhere were scurrying to their seats. Bo, over here! Zeta waved to him a few rows away. Hey, get out of here! This spot's taken! She waved away another girl who was trying to sit in the safe seat next to her. Bo walked over and took a seat next to her. I had to fight off like four kids to save you this seat, Zeta said, throwing her black braid back. One kid tried to park his fat dinosaur here, and I was like, I don't think so, and what's wrong with you? You look shaky. Huh? Oh, nothing. Just got held up for a minute. Good evening, Dinobites, shouted a man in front of the fire. A few kids throughout the room hesitantly shouted good evening back to him, but he shook his head. Now, now, I realize this is your first year at Camp Dino, but I must insist you shout right back at me. When I say good evening, I want to hear you say good evening, Mon Pa. Got it? Now. Good evening, Dinomites! Good evening, Mon Pa! The kids all shouted back. There we are! Bo could barely make out the man and woman standing in front of the fire. The man looked like a jovial grandpa with big curly gray hair and a white shirt with green suspenders and a big green bow tie. Next to him was a beautiful older woman with long, wavy hair and a green dress with a purple glitter vest. My name is Dr. Wyatt Huxley, and this here's my wife, Maribel. But for the duration of your stay, you will call us Ma and Pa. Maribel gave a friendly but very proper wave to the kids before blowing them a kiss. I want you all to treat us as if we were your Ma and Pa while you're here, Pa continued. If you're ever scared, need advice, or feel threatened in any way, Bo swallowed. We're here for you. You can find us in the yurt in the tree closest to the entrance, Ma announced in a perfectly proper British accent. Our door is open at all hours, so please do come see us. First things first, Pa carried on. A few simple rules. Number one. Nobody is allowed beyond the gate without a counselor. The jungle is very, very dangerous, and it is remarkably easy to get lost. If you do sneak out and lose your way, we'll send raptors out to look for you. <gasps> there was a loud gasp through the crowd. I'm kidding, y'all. Goodness gracious. Rule number two. What the counselors say goes. You ought to listen to their advice and follow it closely. All of our counselors here are well-trained and good people. 
If for whatever reason what they tell you to do doesn't seem right, you can always come talk to us. But I assure you, I have complete faith in them. They're here to make your time enjoyable and safe. Rule number three, you must stay in your sign teepee at night. End of story. No wandering, no pranks. Rule number four, treat everyone here like family, including the dinosaurs. You are being given an extraordinary responsibility to care for and teach these majestic creatures. And as soon as you abuse that trust, your dinosaur will be taken from you. Understand? The kids nodded. Now, to that point, you will each leave here tonight with a dinosaur egg. You will take care of that egg as if it were the most precious thing you've ever held, because it is. When it hatches, you will welcome it into this world with gentle rubs on the head and do keep your voice down. Loud noises will startle them. With your egg, you will receive a class schedule. Classes start tomorrow and you are expected to attend all of them. They will teach you about your new friends and how to care for them. At the end of the summer, you will hopefully know your dinosaurs well and will join them in the final competition, our traditional dino-thon, where we will put our bonding skills to the test and have a wonderful time. Bo's hand shot up. Ma pointed to him. Uh, yes, dear. <clears throat> I'm sure I'm not the only one here wondering how exactly you managed to get live dinosaurs out here. Many of the other kids in the crowd nodded. Excellent question. Um, Bo, Bo. Ma looked to Pa to explain. Many of you have been taught that dinosaurs lived nearly 65 million years ago and that they became extinct as a result of a worldwide environmental change from the impact of a comet, asteroid, or meteor and may have been caused by volcanic activity. Those are just theories at this point. But what if some of those dinosaurs survived, hidden in the dense shadows of the untouched jungles of the world? There are still many unspoiled and undiscovered regions of our planet, and it is here, among this jungle, that we discovered a few surviving dinosaurs. They were forced into hiding as humans expanded into their territory. After we discovered them, we took care of them and helped them to multiply. For now, this is their sanctuary, and we have chosen children to help us continue the work. Apart from our vetted counselors, most adults can't be trusted with such information. Many of them are too greedy and power-hungry to keep this secret. You will learn more during your classes, of course, but I hope that will suffice for tonight, hmm? Bo nodded slowly. Good. Then, that should do it for tonight. Now, if you all file out row by row, Dr. Rex, one of our counselors, will hand you your egg and schedule on your way out. Good night and good luck. With that, Pa turned and threw a handful of powder into the bonfire, making its flames change to blue. The kids oohed and awed. Bo and Zeta made their way through the line to the exit, where Dr. Rex, a handsome man dressed in safari clothes, greeted them. Lime, he asked in an Australian accent. Zeta Ramos, Zeta replied, blushing slightly. Dr. Rex pulled out a light green egg and a piece of paper and handed it to her. All right, Zeta, here you are. You'll be in the yellow tray. Have a good night, eh? Zeta nodded dreamily before realizing she was staring and quickly marched out of the tent. Next. Bo stepped up and cleared his throat. <clears throat> Bo Fisher. Nice hat, Bo, Dr. Rex said, tilting his own beige slouch hat at him. Let's see. Here ya. He handed Bo a reddish egg and a slip of paper. You'll be in the blue tree. Um, how high up? Bo asked nervously. Dr. Rex smiled, showing his dimples. Don't worry, mate. You're a newbie, so you'll be in the lower branches. Bo nodded. I was wondering, 
Will we be provided with the proper food for our dinosaurs? I'm assuming you have done your research, but from what I've read, some of the vegetation that'll be needed is extinct. Dr. Rex smiled. We're gonna get along just fine, you and I. We've got plenty of diner food, mate, so sleep easy. I look forward to seeing you in class tomorrow. See you tomorrow, Bo said, nodding and slipping out of the tent. His eyebrows raised when he stepped outside. It was dark out, and yet the entire camp was glowing with life. Different colored lanterns hung from branches, marking their assigned trees. Fireflies twinkled in beautiful luminous clouds. Glowing green and blue frogs swam in the stream, giving it a vibrant, shimmering light. Even the gathering hut that he just left glowed blue like a giant paper lantern, making the cave paintings and handprints pop against the backlit fabric. Girls obviously sleep in different trees, so I'll see you tomorrow, Zeta said a few feet away. Night, Bo. Good night, Bo muttered, giving her a weak wave. He shuffled over to the tree with blue lanterns and watched the kids in front of him step onto a little wooden platform attached to a pulley system and then turn a ship's wheel to lift the platform up the tree. The other newbies were laying their eggs in a big nest at the base of the tree before rising up to their tree peas for the night. Bo met eyes with the boy who was rising up the tree. It was the older, mysterious kid from earlier, the one who'd saved him with the dung bombs. Bo waved to him, and the kid nodded back. Man, he looked cool. When the platform came back down, it was his turn. Bo took a second to look over his egg. His very own dinosaur egg. Holding it up, he studied it. It was as big as his head and surprisingly heavy. He ran his fingers across it. The shell was soft yet scaly, like the peel of an orange but more brittle, and he could feel the warmth of something living inside. For a split second, he could swear he felt something move. Setting it down carefully next to the other eggs in the big nest, he stepped onto the platform and turned the wheel, making him rise to the lower branch. As he rose higher, the view of the camp became even more spectacular, but his stomach squirmed. Why did they have to sleep up in the trees? A few more turns and the platform reached his assigned branch, marked by a wooden sign with the number three on it. Following instructions on his piece of paper, he carefully walked across the thick branch to his treepee and tried not to look down. Luckily, the branch was wider than a sidewalk and well lit by hanging lanterns. It spread out nicely so that his treepee looked safe and roomy. Bo climbed inside, snuggled into a soft, furry blanket, and looked out the open cloth door. Glowing lights twinkled throughout camp like stars moving through the trees. <sighs> he yawned. He could get used to this. Eyes blinking slowly, he drifted off to the sounds of chirping insects and frogs. As the excited chatter faded in the treetops, and the kids gradually fell asleep, an egg rustled in the nest below. The red egg, Bo's egg, quivered. It rocked and then cracked. With another hard shake, more cracks formed, and a chunk of shell broke off in a sticky clump, leaving a dark hole. Gradually, a little red claw poked out and stretched its fingers.
Okay, Rocketeers, I hope you enjoyed that episode of Camp Dino, the season premiere. Let me know what you guys think. Send me an email, reach out on Facebook, or leave a review on Apple Podcasts. Tell me what you think so far. I really think you guys are going to enjoy this. I'm really excited to write this story, and what a fun, crazy, cool setting. So stay tuned, Rocketeers. We got more Camp Dino coming your way. I'm going to take a second to do a couple shout-outs. Atlas from Seattle, Washington. Thank you so much for listening. And Trevor and Evan in Virginia. You guys are amazing. Thank you so much for your support, for tuning in. I hope you enjoyed this story. And this was my wife's idea. She suggested I read a couple reviews uh, from Apple Podcasts at the end of some of the episodes. So I'm going to try that out. I can, I'm not going to get to read everybody's review out loud on an episode, but some of these are just too fun and too awesome not to share. So I got, I'm going to start with this one. <clears throat> and this one is from Hermione Granger. And she said, I love this podcast so much. I have listened to all the episodes twice. I listen to them when I sketch, do homework, clean chores in the car. These are awesome. I love them so much. Heart, 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 heart. I have finally found the perfect podcast. I am so happy. There really are a bunch of E's. I'm going to start crying. I am so happy. You are an amazing podcast host. I want your autograph. Come on. You don't want my autograph. This podcast has been great during quarantine. I'm so glad. Your podcasts are so awesome, I could just listen to them for hours staring at a wall. These make my imagination burst. They, period, are, period, the, period, best. (laughs) I would highly recommend it to anyone, friends, family, anyone. So I guess I was just trying to say that I love this podcast and thank you for making it. It makes quarantine better and easier, Hermione Granger. I hope that was the real Hermione. Okay, I really like Harry Potter. I hope that was really you, Emma Watson, out there. Leave me a review. Either way, thank you so much. That was that was amazing. What a great review. And uh, there was another one here from Sophia in Indiana. And it says, more space train. I love this podcast so much, but could you do a love story and more space train, please? I cried when it ended. Space train is my favorite. Oh, man, I'm, I'm sorry I'm making you guys cry. But I really love Space Train, too, and I might have a surprise in store for you guys, so you might have to stay tuned. Thank you, Sophia. What a great review. Rocketeers, go ahead, leave a review wherever you're listening to the podcast. I might start reading a couple of them at the end of the show. They're they're too awesome not to share, so, so be aware. Be nice, but be aware. I might share a couple of these. Anyway, Rocketeers, you're amazing. Thank you so much for the support. And stay tuned. We got a whole new episode coming your way. This is your host, Greg Webb.